0: Not every step, and it's hard to see this when you're in the day-to-day of your career, especially early in your career, not every step is going to be a step forward directly in that direction that you're looking at. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy.
1: with John CEO, Chief Executive Officer at CO.
0: How are you? Great. Happy to be here. It's been over a year since I last talked to you. I'm surprised it has been that long, but yeah. I know. The last time we talked, I believe it was post-Harvey? It was. Yeah, we traded a couple of emails just post-Harvey, but yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, actually, I think we were supposed to meet that following week. You're
0: right. We were, and <laughs> that that's an understandable delay.
1: Yeah, yeah. So anyway forward on to august we're back on schedule right yeah yeah, i figured we'd just avoid another hurricane or something you know right
0: (laughs) as we're into august
1: right i know i know i know knock on wood
0: all right you told me not to do that
1: (laughs) i can it's my show all right fair enough (laughs) all right before we get into it i wanted to ask everyone to support the show by just taking a few moments out of their time to leave a review on itunes and i'll read it on the show So, John, prior to going into your current role, let's go ahead and discuss how you got into oil and gas and your background.
0: So uh, I'm Canadian, grew up in Canada, went to school at the University of Alberta. Alberta, huh? Alberta, yeah, up in Edmonton, yeah, up in Canada, and graduated there with a degree in finance accounting and started working for Shell. Started working for Shell right after that, working in customer service in the chemicals group.
1: So how did you just
0: stumble upon that job? Well, that's an interesting story.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what we're here for—a good story.
0: (laughs) So, when I graduate my senior year in college, I ran for students' union Mm -hmm. and ended up. We ended up in a three-way vote, and I ended up losing. A little upsetting. You never like to lose, right? right? But you know, everything happens for a reason. Problem was, I had planned. I had saved a couple classes because I planned that if I won, I'd take those over the course of next year. Need to be registered as a student to be on students' union. And if I lost, I figured I'd take them quickly in in the spring session and get out and find a job. Yeah. Problem was, after I took those classes and got out and started to look for a job, all the companies had hired their new grads for the year.
1: Oh, no.
0: Didn't think that went through. So I was fortunate enough to have a friend who was at Shell. He knew some folks at Shell, and they got me an interview. They found a group that... They had a temporary need over the summer. Uh-huh. So they, they had some folks that were unexpectedly out and they needed some help. I interviewed with them. It went well. They had a potential opportunity for me in a different group to come on full time after that. Mm-hmm. And and what what exactly were you doing? So I was doing customer service work for chemicals. It was the chemicals group and it was just working with, with our chemical customers and and Mm -hmm. helping them, you know, partnering with the salesman sales, sales, whoever was doing the sales and, and just helping fulfill their, their chemical needs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very well put.
0: (laughs) And so the idea was I'd, I'd move on to another role after that. Well, I was young and nervous and kind of, you know, a little On edge about it. And I think I had pestered the potential hiring manager a little too much. Oh, no. And came came across as high maintenance. Not knowing that. You're young. You don't understand. Yeah. Fortunately, I had made a good enough impression with the group I was working on a contract basis with Mm -hmm. that they said, hey, we'd like to offer you a job. Only thing is, it's up at the Scofford Chemical Plant, which was a little further north, but it was back up in Edmonton, which I just did my schooling at. Mm-hmm. And they asked me if I was interested. I said, that sounds fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs> so that's where I started. I started with Shell doing customer service and then moved up to Scofford at the chemical plant there where they manufactured styrene monomer and they were just building an MEG plant.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what happened
0: after that. Yeah. So after that, I, I bounced around a little bit and did a couple other jobs up in Canada and like what I went back to Calgary, did some credit management, did other roles in finance, like cost accounting, some other type of financial accounting roles. And then eventually moved into more of a sales type role, sales marketing type role, mm-hmm. working with the sales manager there. Okay. As his helper, <laughs> <laughs> his, <laughs> whatever, aid? his aid, whatever he <laughs> needed. Right? But it was great. I loved it. Great team. Had a lot of fun. And. I had expressed that while I had grown up in Canada and liked it, somehow I expressed, or expressed that somehow I was tired of the cold. Wow,
1: well, I guess
0: so. Well, no, that's not what I expressed. I Really, I was tired of the cold, but I expressed that I did want to move, and I wanted to move abroad. And at the time, the group I was working in was just globalized. So the, co- the rest of the company wasn't quite global yet. It was very... <laughs> country specific, but I was fortunate enough to be working in the part of the company that had just globalized. It was a little more regional than global. So we kind of fed into Houston and there was a good opportunity with some people that were already wor- I was already working with to come to Houston and work in the solvents group here in Houston. Okay. So doing the finance work for the solvents group here in the Americas region for out of Houston. Had the opportunity to come down and so on January 1st, 2002, I moved down here to take that role. Well, that's easy... Easy uh, date to remember. It was easy to remember. I remember trying to cross that border. (laughs) And no, 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 I'm not about to make an immigration crack. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dang. Sorry. No, I remember trying to cross customs and they looked at me and they said, do you have all your paperwork? And I had the paperwork I was told to have. And apparently I need to have some other paperwork. And they let me go. They let me go. But they said, this is okay. Got their paperwork in order. Should be fine. So I started working down here doing solvents and and that led to a few other roles. I ended up doing, right after that was the whole Sarbanes-Oxley fund. Oh my. Which was not the most sexy and exciting work, but from a career perspective, it was very intriguing in the sense that it gave me a, an opportunity as a finance person to check the box on internal controls, financial controls, audit. Mm-hmm. So without having to go into that space and spend a long time in that space, but it allowed me to round out my experience in there. And it was also a global role. So it allowed me, because we had a global URP, mm-hmm. we did some of the implementation in one place, like in Houston, right. and then we replicated that elsewhere because the controls should be largely the same since the systems were exactly the same. Right. So it allowed me a chance to travel over to the Netherlands and to Singapore quite a bit, which was fantastic. So it wasn't all bad. That ended up leading to an opportunity to move to the Netherlands, which is really what I wanted to do. But timing is always funny how that works out. Mm-hmm. So I had just met my now wife. Yeah. And we had just started dating for maybe a month. And it was pro, I was ser- long enough and serious enough to know that it was probably going somewhere. Not long enough to say, hey, you want to move to the Netherlands with me? <laughs> So I, I had to, had to talk with my leadership and made the case to say, "Look, it makes sense for me to stay here. I'd be the only person based in the Americas. The Americas was a big key area for them mm-hmm. and And that after the first year, first years at a station, that things would be a little smoother and I could move to the Netherlands then. And so that all made sense. I stayed here for the year, got engaged. Would have been ready to move, but you know, life changes in, in a year. Everything changes. And
1: isn't it funny? Yeah.
0: And, and that group had disbanded a year later in the reorganization, <laughs> not surprisingly. So, but I was fortunate, you know, good work leads to other opportunities. And right. I was fortunate to get an opportunity to move into trading after that and do gas settlements and a little bit of power settlements as well. So managing the group that did gas settlements over at what was Shell Energy. I guess it's spelled properly Shell Energy now. And did that for several years. That, then led into a role in contracts for supply, so helping do helping manage best practices for for contracts and supplies, and mm-hmm. so just working with the supply and distribution negotiators to help them manage. These are the more important ones. These are the less important ones. Let's so you focus basically on you these. prioritize them. Well, it, it the prioritization was easy because there were some key metrics that helped with the prioritization. But then it was just working with them and saying, look, there is a we've got a. a you know, a methodology because we're show, we like standardization or did they now, not we <laughs> <laughs> hard to have to break. And there was a standardized way of doing things. And that involved, look, this is more important. We need to spend a lot more time on this around understanding SWOT, value proposition. What do we want to get out of this? What do we want, they want to get? What do we think they want to get out of this? Where's the, where's our bottom line on this? Right. And, and then what it did is, is it helped create a little bit of structure and rigor and, and discipline. Mm-hmm. But it was actually probably, it was not probably, it was actually when done right, helpful for the negotiator as well. Cause it gave them very clear boundaries of what they could and couldn't do and, and what the expectations were. And also gave them the opportunity where, where if they were bouncing up, bound, you know, bumping up against a boundary, they could look their counterpartner than the, uh, the counterpart in the eye and say, look that I can't go there. Yeah. Right. I have to go back if you want to go there. Yeah. And so it, it was helpful in a lot of ways. So up until that point in time, a lot of my career was in downstream, right? So find the manufacturing side, chemicals, supply, trading. And my last role at Shell was mm-hmm. over at Upstream. Okay. So, so that's
1: like... Complete, you completely know.
0: different. Yeah. But that's, that's what I wanted. I, I sought that out and it was most of, you know, a lot of the moves in, in the career and the choices were, were deliberate to say, look, this is what I'm getting out of this. Right. And this will help me get to my career, ultimate career goal because of X, Y, Z, whatever that case that might be. And this was deliberate because I hadn't had the upstream experience and I was getting further on in my career and I really needed it. So, so it was a good opportunity to move into upstream, work in the Wells group there, and worked initially with it was in the middle of reorganization Mm -hmm. Uh, they had given me downstream and or excuse me deep water and unconventionals and i looked at them and said i don't have enough people (laughs) (laughs) and they said yeah that's too much for one person yeah we'll 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 split that up so so i deep water for a few months that moved on to someone else and i did unconventionals for a few years and then i restructured myself out of a job and here i am (laughs)
1: So in retrospect, which did which sector did you maybe enjoy more upstream or downstream?
0: They were both interesting for different reasons. I mean, the upstream part was, especially in unconventional at that point in time, it was all state of transition, right? And mm-hmm. it was it was right in the middle of the downturn that we're just coming out of now, right? Or, you know, out of now, more yeah. or less. And so it was interesting, challenging. You know, there were cultural parts of the company that need to change and that have changed. So it was interesting a lot of different ways there. Downstream was different. I mean, it's much more of a manufacturing idea. So you you learn different things. Trading was probably the most fun though. Supply training group. Yeah. Yeah. So that that part was day-to-day excitement, lots of commercial activity, right? Lots going on. Never a dull moment, right? Never a dull moment. Usually something, some fire here or there. Perpetual fires, it's just a question of which ones you decide to which ones today which one you try and put out and the other ones just keep (laughs) burning
1: yeah yeah so now that we've established where you've begun let's kind of go through some challenges and issues you faced through that time
0: so about five years ago i was we went on vacation Mm -hmm. and we went to hawaii and went to the big island we're at kona And we had invited some friends out that were, they were living in Hawaii, or excuse me, living in San Francisco at the time. We invited them out, short flight. We happened to have a two bedroom, just worked out that way. So they came out for the weekend. And one of the things that they wanted to do, having never been, was go surfing. said, great, sure, let's go surfing. So I set up a surfing lesson for us, for the three of us. My wife was five months pregnant at the time.
1: Good thing. Yeah, good. Surfing
0: is not a good idea. Yeah. So, So the three of us went surfing and... When you go surfing, if you've been surfing before, you may realize this. If you haven't been, when you go surfing, you spend a lot of time on your stomach, obviously, which makes sense. And as part of that, you actually aren't just on your stomach; you actually arch your back up, like you arch your shoulders up, and so you're arching your back in the other direction quite a bit, like you're doing. That sounds really
1: uncom- uncomfortable.
0: Right? And yeah. you're and you're doing a lot of moves like paddling or other things while you're doing that, or you know, pushing up on the surfboard to try and catch a wave, uh, pop on the surfboard. So. So you you spend a lot of time arching your back that way. And over the course of the lesson, I noticed my back getting a little sore. So I took a little time to to just sit on my board, arch my back the other way, just take a break. And I would started to feel a little bit better. So I got back in the lineup to try and catch another wave. And the instructor tells you when to start paddling. Tells you when to pop up on the surfboard and gives you a little push if you need it. And so I popped up on the surfboard, landed on on the board, caught the wave. My buddy's yelling at me to carve, and I have this intense pain in my lower back. And I looked around, didn't see anyone around me, so I fell into the water and just hung onto the board. Didn't know what it was. Something I've never felt before. I've had I've had knee surgery without with just local anesthetic before. That was mm-hmm. painful, right? This was yeah. this was worse. And. Maybe on par. I take that back. Maybe on par. But it was painful. And I thought I had slipped the disc, pinched a nerve, something, I don't know, something I'd never done before. My biggest concern at the time was an 8 o'clock tea time the next morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, dang it. Priorities. Yeah, well, it was pretty
0: important. <laughs> I was looking forward to it. Right. And- I thought the pain would go away, it would subside as you know, you hurt yourself normally goes away after a little while. This one wouldn't go away. It was, it just was, it was throbbing, continued to hurt. And eventually I said, Look, guys, I'm going to go into shore. I'll wait for you there. Paddled into shore, eventually tried to sit down, lie down, walk around, do something. It hurt no matter what. Yeah, no relief. So eventually I decided I'm going to walk to the car. Makes absolutely no sense. I know I don't have my keys. I know the keys are locked in the instructor's car, but you you feel like you need to do something. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't make logic. It's not logical, but you feel like you need to do something. So I start walking to the car, and along the way, I start feeling a little weak. At this point, I start like a typical guy up until now. I'm like, I don't need to see a doctor. Mm
1: -mm. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) At this point, I'm like, maybe I need to go see a doctor. And I start leaning against some of the cars and my right leg starts getting a little weak and then my left leg starts getting a little weak. And then eventually I crumple down on both my legs. It's the strangest feeling. Your mind says, muscles tighten, stand up. And nothing happens. Didn't know what it was. I mean, you you just couldn't process what it could possibly be at that point in time. Fortunately, my friend was coming out of the water around that time, so we went to a clinic. They said, "No, no, 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 go to go to the hospital." So we went to the hospital and got to the hospital, and they eventually did an MRI, and that's when I started to realize the severity of what might happen, what what had potentially happen, that I'm, you know, that I might be paralyzed, which was incredibly frightening thought, and one that I didn't know how to process. I I, I sat there and said, I, "I don't think I can deal with this. I don't want to deal with this." Right. Eventually, as I started to panic and my wife was saying, doctors told you not to move. And I'm like, I'm going to move my legs if it kills me. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> they put me out. So for my own good. And uh, when I came to, uh, they, they lifted me over to Honolulu, Honolulu to the hospital there. And the neurosurgeon there had diagnosed that, yes, in fact, I had surface myelopathy which essentially, as I understand it, ischemia or a stroke of the spine. So I basically pinched an artery and caused a stroke. And instead of your stroke being in your brain, it cut off blood supply to the spinal cord and damaged the spinal cord nerve. Wow! Incredibly rare, not incredibly, but very rare. Typically only happens to novice surfers out in the middle of nowhere, like in Hawaii, right? But, Good job. Yeah. Probably, <laughs> yes. Hey, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it well, right? You're right. Gonna, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're very fortunate in a lot of ways, though. We had a friend who had a friend who was working, living and working out there. He and his wife were living and working out there. And they, you know, they opened their place so that Jenny had a place to sleep, which was nice because she was five months pregnant and yeah. had the place to go, you know, some other people at that place. And it gave me a chance to be alone at night because, you know, you're angry, right? And so yeah. it gave me a chance to be alone, be angry and not be angry at her just because she's there. Yeah. So it's funny. You know, we're all worked out very well. Jenny was amazing throughout the whole thing. As soon as it happened, she said, okay, how do we move on? What do we do? What's yeah. next? Right. For someone who's five months pregnant, no less. And yeah. And we had friends that, that helped us with, you know, getting us into, into tier, talking to the right people to, to help us get into tier. But a week later i flew home and I was in tier and, and I started my rehab. I was at tier for a month. They did a fantastic job there. Love the people there. And you know, it was, I, one day I will tell my son that in some ways he saved my life, right? Because when that happened, I didn't think I could deal with it, didn't want to deal with it. And by the time I got to tear, it was, okay, four months, he's coming. Yep. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I'm at least not a burden. Yeah. Right. I mean, ideally I'd like to be able to help and change a diaper or two, but, but I'd like not for my wife to be taking care of me as well as, <laughs> as well as the baby. baby yeah. And yeah, so Tier helped me with a lot of that, with a lot of the rehab and learning what they say is the new normal, right? They talk about a new normal, right? You relearn how to do every little thing. How do you get up out of bed? How do you take a shower? How do you get dressed? And maybe we should say, <laughs> I'm in a wheelchair oh, yeah, <laughs> for the, the- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Since There's <it's-> no picture. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of important. Yeah. Sorry, detail. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, the punchline. <laughs>
0: Uh, so it was, and, you know, we were very fortunate in a lot of ways. I was very fortunate to have my friends and my family and my son coming. And and I, you know, for me, it was a lot of faith, right? Yeah. Faith is important to me. And I believe he doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I was very fortunate to have that around me to help me handle it. So, But that was a huge life challenge. And as part of that, you know, professionally, right, I will say that the company was very good in supporting me on the way back as well right? But it Well, was, I'd hope so. Yeah. No, they were very good. good. They were very good. They were accommodating. And it was, but that, that was from a challenge perspective, personally and, and professionally. I mean, that, that carries over, right? So, mm-hmm. but you learn, you learn that that that's a huge change. Everything's changed. Life has changed. And, and sometimes as you get older, you get set mm-hmm. and it's, it's easy to stay in your routine Yes, and it's hard to grow because it's easier to sit still. Mm -hmm. comfort zone comfort zone right and and so so this for me was you know while it was a change personally right it it was growing personally and professionally in a lot of different ways and and forcing me to say look you know you need to you need to continue to adapt you need to continue to learn you need to continue to grow and it's been (laughs) it's been it's been it's good things have come out of it as well so
1: right so it's safe to say you haven't been surfing lately
0: I have not, but I will say that one of the last time as I was there, I ran into a dude on, and he was a dude. Yeah. yeah he was a surfer dude, like bra. Awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and he, we're just off of Waikiki and he was in the wheelchair and he was telling me about his surfing escapades.
1: Really? Right? Yeah.
0: And, That's awesome. And he was telling me that he, he goes on some of these, you know, he goes to some of the surf competitions and as part of it, cause he's, he's out there surfing, like, you know, it, it was kind of crazy what he was talking about. I was like, that's impressive. Okay. But it, but it also makes you realize that no matter, yeah. Okay. Wheelchair paralyzed, whatever it is, right. Everyone's got something. Yeah. It shouldn't stop you. Nope. It, you know, it, the only thing that stops you is you choosing you letting it stop you, right. You choosing to allow it to stop you. So in that way, it's, it's been good. hindrance. Hindrance, right? Move, so, move along. Yeah, you just move, move past it, right? But everyone's got something, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's got some challenge or some obstacle. Oh, absolutely. It's just, do you let it stop you? Do you let it, you know, do you let it become an excuse, right? Yeah. Or is it important enough to you to, to overcome that and to say, no, you know what? I'm going to do this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Surfing wasn't that important enough to me. But there right. are other things that are, so. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be?
0: I think it would be that. I think it would be the only thing that stops you is, is you, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, everything's going to change around you. It's just a question of if you're going to change with it, if you're going to grow with it, if you're going to adapt with it, you can choose not to, right? There's, you know, but, but life's going to continue to go on. And, and if you want to grow, if you want to, you know, progress, if you want to advance in your career and your life, otherwise you need to change with it. I mean, I, I've, I've got young children, Mm -hmm. And what scares me today and excites me in some ways, but scares me is the pace of technological advancement, the pace of social media advancement. Jeez.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you.
0: And thinking about, hmm, I've got a four-year-old and a one-year-old. They haven't even begun to think about this sort of thing. Wait till they're 16 and 14 and 13 or whatever and realizing I'm going to need to keep up with them. I need to just to think about keeping up with them or being somewhere around where they are when they're getting to that stage. I can't fall too far behind right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and update yourself on some Snapchat because I'm still learning that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. My kids
1: are like, don't text me, snap me. And I'm like, no, how about you pay your phone bill and I'll snap you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't have that problem yet, thankfully.
1: (laughs) Stay abreast.
0: (laughs) Stay abreast, yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. So what book influenced you the most?
0: The Tax Code?
1: Said no one ever. Said no one ever. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you know, I might know a couple people that might have said that, oh, but it, yeah. yeah. So definitely not me. So I, I'm not gonna. I could say, I could say the Bible. I'm gonna go beyond that, right? So that's you know true, but I'll go beyond that and say. Right now, my reading is consisted of how I can do it most efficiently. <laughs> right. And, and so finding tools to do that a lot more efficiently, just between trying to try running around being an entrepreneur and having young kids at home. So lately I found something called Blinkist mm-hmm. and they take stories and condense it down kind of like audible books or other services that will take Kind of like cliff notes, huh? Yeah, cl- totally cliff notes, right? I love those in college.
1: Oh, I'm glad my kids aren't listening to my show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it is exactly that. And they, they call it little Blink. So they take it and they condense the story down to eight or nine or however many sound bites that, that last basically a minute or two. That's not bad. And and so you can actually just listen to a couple of blinks and you don't even have to finish the whole thing. So the whole thing may take you 15 minutes, but if you only have five, you listen to the first few and you come back to it later. It's been really helpful to kind of crunch through a number of books that I've been looking on on marketing, which I've been spending a lot of time on right now. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That's so,
1: not my favorite. Yeah.
0: <laughs> But it's been really helpful to to do that and so so I think what influences me is is what you know it, it just kind of it's where it's what I'm doing at the time right so mm-hmm. right right now that that's what's key right now, so that's that's what's influenced me a lot right now
1: excellent, speaking of what's your most used business tool
0: so there's a few clearly collaboration tools have been fantastic and and so whether they are you know, the tools that you would find on say teams, if you're using Microsoft or mm-hmm. Slack or otherwise, depending on. Yep. We use, using. yep. Yeah. We have
1: those. Yeah.
0: So those have been and continue to be invaluable in a lot of ways and huge time savers. Oh yeah. So that, you know, just we get into arguments about which one's better. Right. But beyond that.
1: Yeah. I think I've been in a couple of those, but not with you.
0: Not with me. <laughs> would you like to?
1: No, I have a lot of time trying to Get all these millennials to use Microsoft, so
0: Yeah, Microsoft millennials, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: But I'm the elder millennial. You're so. the elder millennial, yes. <laughs> that's, that's yes. I, I just
0: I just read an article on Bloomberg talking about millennials. Don't worry about millennials killing industries anymore. You gotta worry about Gen Z. Yeah, no kidding. Just between their size and their, their influence on family buying decisions. Mm-hmm. And they you know, it was an interesting article of just saying, look, you need to worry about Gen Z starting to kill industries. Never mind millennials. Yeah. But yeah, so so those have been, you know, the collaboration tools and and how they've advanced have been have been fantastic and very helpful. LinkedIn has always been a powerful tool from a business networking perspective. Right. So that's always been valuable and continues to be valuable. And then social media, oh my God. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Tell me about it.
0: Yes. Yeah, and learning about it. Oh yeah, learning living it, mm-hmm. and then now trying to do business on it.
1: Yeah, it's very rarely I get online other than just to read it, and then uh, you know, and I'll post some stuff about the show or whatever we sure. have coming up. But
0: other than that, but it's it is it is the way of, and, and this is one of the things that that you know I've some of the marketing people I've talked to, and some of the things that I read of how, you know, today's world it's all about on engagement, but it's mm-hmm. all online engagement and it's no longer real you know, marketing, no longer we're not just talking to you, here's the commercial, here's the radio ad.
1: Yeah, and it's only gonna progress further.
0: It's it's engagement. Mm-hmm. Right? And and it's less, you know, the marketer the commercial has less power now, right? It's it's more who do I trust to speak about this? Right. Influencer, otherwise, yeah. you know, yeah. who do I trust? I like your style, I like who you are, I trust you. I trust you to speak about this. Okay.
1: Okay. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, and, and this is one of my favorite questions and it may not be applicable, but it's my favorite question because everybody asks it or asks it, answers
0: it so differently. I will try not to ruin that for you, that run for you. Oh, okay. Sorry. Stepped away from it. I really, was leaning back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who is your most respected competitor?
0: So it depends. So I, I will answer that, first of all, from from my oil and gas gaze, I will say that there were certain aspects of all our competition that that you kind of respect, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, Exxon was always very... Exxon. Exxon, right? <laughs> There's really no other way to describe that. Which is, you know, it comes with good things and it comes with bad things, right? Right. But you respect the good things that come out of that, right? Oh, so, absolutely. And the other end of the scale, if you're looking at... Whether you're looking at independent refiners or independent upstream, you know, unconventional companies,
1: right? mm-hmm.
0: or shale resource companies, whatever you call them, whatever call them, they were nothing if not nimble, right? And that's true, I suppose, for, for a lot of essentially startups. Right? Yeah. You know, you're, you're running, you're nimble, you're making decisions quickly. Yes. Right? There's not a whole lot of talking going on and, and consensus going on, right? Because you're we need to go. Yep, gotta go we, now. We need to cause this is costing us cash and we need the cash. Exactly. We sat there and we're talking about the startup, one of the startups we're mm-hmm. working on. That's in the the product, the B2C company. And that we have the child's lounge we call it the lounger. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll send you some information on that. Yeah, on let me know. We did some we had the professional video done, and then we did our video that we're going to use for social media, and we were just doing it at my house.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the guys was talking about going, because it's three dads, right? It's, it's the three three guys running this thing. And they said, well, we're just three dads that have experienced childbirth. And he stops, and we all stop. And we're like, what? <laughs> What'd you just say? Yeah, we just all lose. So anyhow. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, that's it's you funny. You end up with a lot of crap, so yeah. I'm, I'm sure... You, this will be, well, <laughs> nah. no, no. Nah. you know, cash is king and you got to focus on cash and it's, it's all, how quickly can you, you know, how quickly can you run that cycle? And so there are elements of, of startups that you respect and that you can learn from as well. Now, not all elements are applicable to whoever you are, wherever you're at, right? mm-hmm. but there are things that you can learn from them. I mean, there are things that you can learn from. That, that I, that I really respect personally about other companies that have very pervasive cultures mm-hmm. where like Disney, right? From top to bottom, all the way through, right? Where they, they have, it is a very ingrained culture. And that's why when you go to the park, it is literally the happiest place on earth. You notice we went to the park one year at Disney World and then went to Universal and mm-hmm. you could tell the difference in people.
1: Really? Uh,
0: Disney, they're sitting there, and they are absolutely focused on you and your satisfaction. And if they are having a bad day, you'd never know it. hmm. I remember I was in the gift shop once, and they were bringing in their new trainees from some colleges across the world. And they were talking about how important it was that every experience, every interaction, every point matters because it can result in one extra purchase, and one extra this, and, and just how easy... That they make it as a company as well to how seamless as an experience and to how seamless it is to spend money there. Oh yeah, versus you go to other parks, right? Mm-hmm. And well, I went to Universal. I loved it. I love Universal. I had a good time, but Universal is—I mean, there are different types of parks, right? Universal right. is much more, you know, ride roller coaster oriented. If you go to the harry potter world oh boy that's exactly world, why i went that is fantastic and that to me was disney quality it was disney level oh yeah you go to some of the other parks sorry some of the other parts of that park it's hit or miss
1: yeah pretty much mm-hmm. and and you did you go d- prior to jurassic park yeah i think so that's when it was all kind of weird okay and dull that okay. area and it's revamped now and they've actually opened another part of really? uh harry potter yes i have heard that i have heard that. My, my children just got back so Loved I've, it. I've got an interactive wand now that i can't Ooh, interact with yes so you can in the park uh you go to different parts and it gives you actually the map oh. of hogsmeade and everything and you walk around and you do certain spells in certain places that's ridiculous yeah it's freaking awesome so yeah
0: but that that's, that's, that's what I would equate to being like Disney quality where the people there, the technology just, you know, and just everything, right. Yeah. Is immersive and of the same level. You hear about people that that have left Disney's front office and they go to another company, they still answer their phone have a magical day. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, you're not at Disney anymore. Yeah. But yeah.
1: Well, like you said, old habits die hard. Yeah. And it's, yeah
0: but they they have you know as a company, everyone from top to bottom, or it seems mm-hmm. buys into the culture and you and you kind of respect that and you see that, and you see everyone marching in the same direction, the power of everyone marching in the same direction at the same beat right there is there is some power there
1: yeah, it certainly is, so other than the obvious mm-hmm. what is your most important lesson learned
0: I would say from a career perspective. One of the things I would say is, is to be very intentional about your career from the very beginning. And so if you aspire, no matter where you are in your career, but if you aspire to to be in the C-suite, then, then your actions and your career decisions should reflect that. So if you aspire to be in the C-suite, look, you should be taking on extra assignments. You should be working late. You should be doing all the networking things. You should be doing all the things that you need to be going above and beyond. And if you don't want to, that's fine. No one's that, no, you know, then, but you shouldn't expect to get to very aspirational levels if you're not willing to to do certain things. Right. And as part of that as well, certainly from coming from a finance background, you recognize that, that it is important to have breadth as well as depth. Yeah. So it, it and, having that focus to to be intentional again about the assignments you take mm-hmm. to achieve that breath. Right. So like me taking that socks roll, it didn't sound like fun. Right. The work didn't sound like fun, but it was intentional because it filled the need. It filled it filled ticked off a box in, in my career to say that I was able you know, I had done this, I have this experience. And and I'm better off for it. Right. And I in fact actually enjoyed it in, in some other different ways. But it is being intentional about that, so it's, it's in some ways you know the old adage begin with the end of mind, right so beginning with the end of mind and and then not every step, and it's hard to see this when you're in the day to day of your career, especially early in your career, not every step is going to be a step forward directly in that direction that you're looking at All right right so it may seem like a step to the side or, or, or otherwise, right, but there is. There can be, if it's the right intent, you know, if it's if there's value there, right? Even if it's a step to the side or perceives, feels that way, there can be value in doing that, right? As long as you're moving in the right direction, as long as there's value in that. So it's okay at times, maybe to take a lateral position because it gives you some additional experiences that you need, that you're gonna need to be more successful at the next level.
1: Makes sense to me. Yeah. What's your favorite podcast? Don't you do it, Tom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My favorite podcast. It varies. It depends. So it, I, I listen to it several, and some of them. So it ranges everything from Freakonomics to oh, yep, well, love that one to TED. Not really a podcast, I suppose. but well, so, they have in some, yeah. Yeah, some ways, right? Yeah, they so. have the
1: videos, and then they have the the podcast where it's just audio only, and then
0: yeah. yeah. The Wall Street Journal has one that, that talks about tech and future stuff.
1: Oh yeah. That I know is talking very about.
0: cool. And and they take some stuff that is very emerging and they they boil it down into very, very easy to understand terms, or easy they explain it very well, but they also make it very real and very interesting. Right? They did one on blockchain, they did one on three D printing, right? And so there's some very cool emerging areas. Yeah. Uh, they did one on CRISPR, which was scary as heck. Really? Explain that. CRISPR is gene editing.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's super scary. Yeah.
0: Super scary, super cool. Yeah. The potential is very cool and very scary at the same time. Yeah, all
1: in one. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, and it's really scary to think that that it's, some of those areas are advancing a lot quickly, very a lot more quickly in China. Well, that's not actually a surprise. They're not actually a surprise, but they they let it happen there. So, anyhow. So, if... if, So a number of different podcasts, yeah. a number of different podcasts. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All
1: right. So because I want our listeners to be well-dressed and most importantly safe, be sure to go to www.bullwark.com forward slash podcast to win a Bulwark FR shirt and base layer. No purchase necessary to win. See official rules for details. Thank you so much for coming for a third time to be on the show. Thanks for having me. And I will make sure to check this audio as soon as we turn this off to make sure it went through. <laughs> If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about your company, how can they go about doing that?
0: Probably the best ways to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Perfect. So well, the, that's kind of where I figured you were going yeah. that way with that.
1: <laughs> Perfect. All right. That concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door.
0: Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.